Today on Broadway for Tuesday, December 11th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, uh, we're going to start the show off with a little bit of news because last night, Monday night, um, at around, oh, a little after 6, 6.30, there was a fire at the Broadhurst Theater. Apparently, it was contained to the lower lobby. Uh, there was no performance of Anastasia to, uh, last night because it was Monday. It was a dark night. So uh, apparently, the fire was contained, no threat of injury to any people, and apparently, the fire department uh, was able to contain the fire and they should be all good to go. No official word if there will be a per- performance on Tuesday night, but uh, John Bolton, one of the stars of the show, uh, seemed to play down any concerns that people had. So I, I would imagine that they're going to have the show tonight. Um, but if you have tickets to Anastasia for Tuesday, December 11th, maybe check with your point of purchase about whether or not that's still happening. And I'm sure all the Broadway sites will have it if it's canceled, but uh, apparently it's not nearly as bad as it could have been. Wow. So uh, I, I can't imagine what, what possibly could have happened there, but I guess we'll hear more about it as uh, as tomorrow's uh, Broadway World morning newsletter gets out. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. All right. Uh, first up in the news, the reviews are in for The Jungle at St. Anne's Warehouse. Yes, they are, James. On Sunday night, the New York premiere of The Jungle by Joe Murphy and Joe Robertson officially opened at St. Anne's Warehouse in Brooklyn, directed by Stephen Daldry and Justin Martin. The play is a good chance theater co-production with both the National Theater and the Young Vic, so you know that it has traversed the Atlantic with some serious cred behind it. The show has recently been extended to January 27th. And a pro tip here, James. They have Thursday matinees, which is perfect for people like me who are trying to cram in as many shows into a trip as possible. So uh, after you hear these reviews, if you have a chance to go on a Thursday afternoon, you might want to do it because apparently it's going to be pretty good. Anyway, the show is described thusly. Uh, meet the hopeful, resilient, uh, resilient re- residents of the jungle, the short-lived self self-governing society that emerged within a sprawling refugee camp in Calais, France. You take a seat in an Afghan cafe where men, women, and children fleeing war and persecution created a world offering warm hospitality amid squalor and danger. If you're familiar with St. Anne's Warehouse, it will not surprise you that this is a very um, immersive intimate show. Uh, if you saw Sexy Oklahoma there, the setup to, looks even more um, intimate and interactive than Oklahoma did. You are very much right in the middle of the action, so it's hard to avoid a lot of these things. First up, Ben Brantley of the New York Times made the show a critic's pick, saying, quote, the production places the audience at the teeming center of a colony of displaced people and provisional stores, houses, and churches. Benches border a network of runways, making theatergoers feel like part of the clientele of the improvised Afghan restaurant, which serves as a meeting place for the citizens of many and no nations. The play begins in a moment of crisis when the migrants are forcing eviction by the French government and then moves back in time to the camp's early days when its highland diverse members were trying to establish a system for living together. Though most of the 18 cast members have one very individualized part to play, they seem to be a countless legion. Their characters come from many countries, Sudan, Syria, Afghanistan, uh, Eritrea, 
Iraq, Iran, and just for starters. Each performance is slightly larger than life, perhaps for clarity's sake, but each is also defined by human fears and frailties. It's the do-gooding, often hapless English who become surrogates for much of the audience, and they are giving winningly ardent and angry life. These English, after all, like most of the audience, have real homes waiting for them. By the end of this extraordinary work, it is achingly clear that for the migrants, even those lucky enough to cross the English Channel, home will never again be more than a memory and an infinitely fragile illusion. So really, really great review from Ben Brantley. Peter Marks, perhaps unsurprisingly, from The Washington Post was a little less um, uh, effusive with his praise. He said, quote, the jungle may be agitprop uh, and its natural con uh, constituency may not need to be convinced of the urgency of the need, its characters, events for rescue. But the accomplishment here of amplifying the force, the, amplifying the voices that dark forces in the world seek to mute is one that is surely worth honoring. However, Nicole Serator, writing for Variety, wasn't as taken with the production as Brantley or really even as much as Marx was. You might even say that she was mildly bitter, oh. writing, quote, sorry, <laughs> we'll explain that here in a second. Um, she wrote, quote, even with the production, uh, the production designs authenticity, the theatricality of the production keeps pushing reality further away. You are acutely aware you're at a show being acted. It's devastating to spend all this time in a room with these characters and in this place and emerge knowing less than when we went in. Disillusion may be part of the point, but it also feel that it feels like a lost opportunity. And just so we're clear here, I'm not making fun of the only female critic that uh, uh, I, I talked about here. Her Twitter handle is at mildly bitter. And she was one of the uh, original voices on the Maximu podcast. Rest in peace. I miss it very much. Um, and she's great. So, James, um, a wide variety of, of opinions here. But what it sounds like the most is that it's a very affecting piece. Um, and you know how I'm, I kind of love things that are different and unusual. So I'm uh, I'm going to go see it. I have a ticket to go see this next month. And I'm very, very excited to see another really fascinating production out at St. Anne's Warehouse. Wow. St. Anne's is uh, doing some great work there. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, consistently doing really well. Uh, they had to move the... Uh, the matinees to Thursday because you have to take the F train to get out there. And, uh, you know, folks... Does the F train... F train. Does it not run on Wednesdays? <laughs> it never runs, period. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they're doing all sorts of construction and stuff like that. It just... Great. Folks who are taking New York City transit uh, in the last year to two years or so uh, can... Uh, they say F a lot. <laughs> for different reasons exactly okay. all right uh what happened in last week's broadway grosses well last week broadway saw a nice little bump in the bottom line increasing 6.2 percent or 2.34 million dollars over the previous week while maintaining the same number of 38 shows although in fairness five performances of reuben and clay replaced one performance of celebrity autobiography autobiography but let's be honest neither of those shows was doing any business whatsoever so it's kind of a wash in total broadway brought in 40 million 149,570 last week now speaking of those lovable reuniting former american idlers their show did a grand total in five performances of 100,407 dollars for a whopping 11.7% of its gross potential. 
uh, to be honest with you, that is not as bad as as um, Home for the Holidays did last year. So good for them. Um, they did have a, a little over uh, half of their house filled uh, for their five performances, which is good. But based on the grosses, most of the people there weren't paying much, if anything, at all. As it winds up its Broadway run, Head Over Heels saw an increase to get it back over the Mendoza line at about $208,000. Torch Song was next, jumping up about ten k to $231,000. In fact, 32 of the 37 returning shows saw week-to-week increases, and of the five that were in the red, let's go through these. Chicago was down less than $600. Both Hamilton and Lifespan of a Fact dipped less than $2,000. To Kill a Mockingbird was down less than $9,000, and Network was the only show that had a significant decline, but it opened last week, um, and I don't think that really matters because it's selling really well. Otherwise, it dipped $137,348. Now, Hamilton, despite the $1,193 decline, shockingly was still on top of the grossest heap with $2,945,976, followed by Springsteen's penultimate week at $2.4 million, Lion King at 2.3, Harry Potter at 2.03, and Wicked at $2,058. Now, going down the list of million-dollar makers was Frozen, Dear Evan Hansen, Aladdin, Mean Girls, To Kill a Mockingbird, Pretty Woman, The Book of Mormon, Come From Away, My Fair Lady, The Share Show, King Kong, those lovely illusionists doing and making magic, making money appear out of nowhere on Broadway. And then finally, the ferryman. James, uh, let's I want I want to check in on the shows that I've been hinting at that I think could close sometime before the season's end to get other shows into their theater, whether it's the Brooks or the Broadhurst. Those would be Waitress and Anastasia. I think the only way that either of these shows is going to make it through the spring and into the summer and then into the fall is if they somehow get a big draw to keep them afloat. Let's first talk about Anastasia, which has not yet announced recoupment. It came in at $777,360, while Waitress, which has recouped, took in $660,028 in Nicolette Robinson's final week as Jenna. Now, obviously, Sarah Bareilles will be rejoining Waitress in January, so that will be huge for them, James. But I'm going to stick with my February closing prediction unless they can find someone for either Jenna or Dr. Pometer who can bring in Borellis type grosses. Otherwise, I can't see this show staying open with just another Broadway name. Now, in my mind, the same can be said for Anastasia. If if you've blinked and don't realize it, Anastasia opened uh, or began previews on Broadway in March of 2017. So we're getting close to two years for that show on Broadway. And Christy Altamar has been the title character since the beginning. Now, I have no idea if she's going to stay with the show past two years or if it even gets to two years, to be frank. But I would think that if she leaves and if they keep going, they would have to find someone big to replace her because bringing in Australian YouTube stars as Dimitri doesn't seem to be doing the trick. And, James, I'm going to end on this one other show that a lot of people seem to always want to say is closing because I love it so much that it keeps proving people wrong. And that's beautiful, which grossed eight hundred twenty two thousand three hundred seventy two dollars last week for a better gross potential at seventy four point three percent than the share show at seventy four point one. Now, obviously, there's a lot of reasons to compare these two shows about iconic um, 70s, 60s, 70s female artists. But one of them has been open for like five or six years and one of them just opened. And one of them, while not doing as much in terms of bottom line, 
is doing better in potential. So I think that tells you what I've been saying for years, James. Beautiful ain't going anywhere. Hmm. Those are some beautiful grosses. <laughs> so, <laughs> they uh, weren't bad. They weren't bad. Yeah. Uh, so the Broadhurst. Um, oh, open it up even, even with a fire sale. <laughs> Jesus, well, I could. I was thinking about that or sexual perversity in Chicago. You know the whole uh, yeah, 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 yeah. scene. No, I don't know the show at all. I've never <laughs> seen the, either of the movie adaptations. I don't know of it. What are the movies called? Because they changed about the name. About last night. About oh, yeah. last night. Yeah. About last night. Yeah. There's two versions of it. Yeah. But I've never seen either one or the show itself. But I'll take it. All right. All right. Uh, So next up, the critics agree with Peter and Michael on slave play. Yes. uh, I I don't want to belabor this one, James, because we talked about it on yesterday's show and you all talked about it on Sundays this week on Broadway. But critics really love slave play. In fact, Jesse Green of The New York Times made the show a critic's pick, writing, quote, slave play is extreme, both in the way it poses its central question through sex and in posing the question at all. It asks a lot of its superior cast whose portrayal of arousal and fury and shame feels terrifyingly real, even within a very artificial reality. The designers create that artificial world with great theatrical wit and intelligence. Now, you'd imagine that because I love Sarah Holdren's reviews so much that I would be very excited to read her review in Vulture. But She started out with saying that there's no way for her to review it without spoiling everything. So she said, if you haven't seen it, don't read this. If you want to see it, if you do see it, then come back and read it. So that was a little bit annoying to me because I I plan on seeing it. Um, Not exactly what you would expect uh, as a as a bold strategy for a critic. But I'm going to respect her and and understand Mm -hmm. that she knows what she's doing because she's the best. So two more real quick reviews. Tim, uh, Tim Tiemann from uh, The Daily Beast said, quote, Jeremy O'Harris's slave play is so powerfully written and wittingly intelligent, intelligently damning of white privilege and supremacy that it will reverberate with you long after you have left New York Theater Workshop. And finally, Frank Sheck of The Hollywood Reporter said, quote, the staging by Robert O'Hara fully exploits the evenings in Sydney elements. The versatile ensemble displays absolute fearlessness with their first rate performances and the, de- the design elements, including Didi Aite's period and non-period costumes and Clint Ramos's sets featuring large mirrored panels reflecting both the audience and a painting of the plantation located at the rear of the theater serve the work perfectly. So basically, James, if you can get a ticket, go see Slave Play. It is as good as Peter and Michael said. I still need to get a ticket, so I'm going to try to do that when we get done here. But it's apparently as good as advertised. Yeah, Peter and Michael had to uh, dance around the the uh, spoilers as well. Mm, okay. uh, it's hard to talk about the play sometimes when uh, and not give away those important aspects of it. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us, and uh, I think Matt is going to be here tomorrow to take you into Wednesday. True that. True that.